Well, my lovelies, welcome to yet another Naked Football Show. And this week I'm delighted to welcome a naked virgin in the shape of Mr. Jason Milton. Hello, Jason. How are you? A naked virgin. I think yeah. it's been a few years since I could ever be referred to as a naked virgin. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted and, and thanks for the invitation to join the call. Yeah, it's an. I must admit it's an insult I invented a while ago. So everyone who hasn't been <laughs> on the show before is, an, is classed as a naked virgin. Lovely. I know it's cruel. <laughs> um, before we go into uh, the detritus that is talking about it, it's town. You lived in um, BA, as they call it, Buenos Aires, didn't you, for a while? Well... I was in Sao Paulo. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, we we left uh, we left Ipswich uh, two thousand, I think it was, and we came back middle of two thousand and nineteen. And it was a journey that took us uh, first to Miami, uh, then down to Sao Paulo. We were in Sao Paulo for four years, and that's really where I spent a lot of time following uh, football in the region. So obviously, Sao Paulo was my team in Sao Paulo. Boca was my team down in Buenos Aires. Taluca was my team up in Mexico. So I was a bit like a, a sailor. I had a team in every port, shall we <laughs> say. And then um, work and life took us over to Munich. Uh, and I was a season ticket holder at Bayern uh, oh, before yeah. heading off to Asia, where I followed the Guan in Beijing. So, yeah, I've, um, I've been around a little bit and always taken a, a strong interest in the local football scene. But at the same time, I've managed to convert many a, a, a sort of overseas friend or work colleague to becoming an ardent tractor boy or girl. There's millions out there now. Yes, I, I know that, especially from the early 80s, late 70s. What, um, what actually took you over? Was it work that took you all those places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So work, work, work has kept us overseas, as I said, for the best part of about 20 years. Um, yeah, so the girls were schooled in seven schools across four continents. And then sort of towards the end of 18, uh, we, we recognised it was going to be important to get back. Uh, and by getting back, uh, the journey brought us home to Ipswich, uh, where I promptly got myself a season ticket with my dad. And uh, we enjoyed going down to, to follow the town, which obviously then got curtailed with uh, COVID and everything else that's preceded it. Cool. So where, whereabouts do you sit or stand, as it were? Uh, Pioneer. Oh, okay. We're in the, yeah, we're in the Pioneer uh, stand in the, in the middle middle section, um, not far from, um, from from Lambert and the, the halfway shenanigans. So I get to hear and see everything that's going on there quite nicely. Oh, we were. Uh, we I managed to get a couple, get us some tickets from the you know through the little lottery they do at the moment just to uh, for the last home game when it, whichever that was against. And um, yeah, we were sat about there just above yeah, in yeah. the third tier, right lovely in the view. front. Yeah, and um, especially with no crowd, you can hear everything that the managers <laughs> and things are swearing about. It's quite an interesting thing. So yeah, so I've actually been to Boca, or we went to uh, Buenos Aires for a few days, and I made sure it it, uh, it tallied with a, a game. And that's a, that's an experience in itself isn't it watching Boca Juniors no it's just incredible and and I've been very fortunate my dad features prominently in all of my footballing stories and uh, they followed us around the world on our travels uh, and we took him and mum down to, to Buenos Aires for a long weekend and through through contacts we, we got a couple of great seats uh, took dad to watch Boca play in a night game and uh, you're right I mean it's a it's an out of this world experience for any football fan it just it's something that unless you're actually there, it's very difficult mm. to recreate to anyone uh, and impart upon them the sense of sort of history and passion that, that goes into just a simple game of football somewhere else in the world. 
I think there's there's no better example of that as as the, when the players come out. I noticed that uh, the Boca team comes out on the halfway line, sort of where the yeah. dugouts are, as they always do, and the opposition team comes out in a far corner with one of those retractable <laughs> with one of those retractable shelter thing covers that comes right out to the centre spot before they're allowed to come onto the pitch. I thought well, that's so funny. You know, try try explaining to anybody what it's like to be in an environment where literally the stadium bounces mm. and it bounces for about ninety minutes before kickoff, and it mm. bounces for a good while after. If you ever get the chance to revisit and you get the chance to go to a night game, you know, just being in and around uh, La Bombonera in an evening with the smell of uh, barbecue on the street, bottle of Quilmes, and then you just. It, it, it really is an incredible experience. That, yeah, and as you say, or as you alluded, the actual uh, neighbourhood itself is amazing as well. The colours yeah. are incredible, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. I was also, over the years, lucky. I mean, I, I watched um, Argentina play Brazil at River Plate. Uh, that oh. was an amazing experience. And back home in Sao Paulo, uh, it, it was the era where we, we were regularly in uh, Copa finals, uh, won the Copa. Um, but I was also fortunate enough to watch um, Boca play Santos in the final of the Copa Libertadores in Sao Paulo. Blimey. And it was the final where Tevez um, made made an appearance for Boca. We had uh, Robinho, who was playing for Santos, as well as Diego, who eventually ended up coming up to, to the UK, I believe, and, and uh, finished up playing in Germany, I think. Mm. Uh, and I saw those as 17-year-olds playing in that final at Sao Paulo. That was an incredible experience. Mm. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I love South America. Yeah. I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I mean, that's where my passion is. I spent a lot of time out in Asia. Um, very different. But, um, yeah, Latin America is, is incredibly special. Um, you really do live for the minute. Um, you know, you're not thinking about long-term savings or what might be happening in five years' time. It very much is what's in front of your nose and what's happening that day. And uh, that that sort of spirit of living for the moment resonates in every walk of life, especially in football. Yeah, if someone said I had to go and live there, I wouldn't complain whatsoever. <laughs> well, the other side of that is, you know, when I was down there, I had two devals that I had to deal with in, in Argentina. And when you talk about street poverty yes, and, and yeah. you, you know favelas and you know it, it, it there is another side of it and you really do have to develop a pretty thick skin um otherwise it, it can really eat away at you indeed yeah we, we i was in rio i think it was that same year actually and uh, yeah. got on the bus going the wrong way and ended up going towards a favela and they wouldn't let us off the bus <laughs> they said you stay on the bus until it goes back <laughs> so well, we lived our lives very normally in sao paulo we lived there for four years i think I was probably active in the region for about 15, running around doing bits and pieces and never once had an issue, never once. No. Um, but we did li- live, you know, uh, f- for those that, that, that wouldn't be aware, you have to do sensible things. You know, you don't wear your watch in the car, you put your bag in the boot. If an evening you don't stop for red lights. I mean, it's, it's just a different world and you mm. do have to be sharp. And you don't realise until you come out of that environment how much um, pressure uh, that you're living under until that's gone and you stop doing all of those things to protect your own security. You don't realise just what you're involved with. Mm. 
they say travel broadens the mind. I think it, it, it would be good if um, maybe schools one day could you, you could send the, the child off to live somewhere completely different for a year. That would uh, probably get rid, get rid of a lot of racism and xenophobia, wouldn't it? But unfortunately, well, that's you, impossible. You know, I look at my two girls, you know, here they are back in Ipswich, a place they only ever visited for Christmas, and they're, they're, they're now sort of trying to figure out, you know, how this all works because it's an experience that, it's pretty alien to them, mm. to be frank with you. Yeah. yeah, it must be. How old are they, roughly? Uh, so the, second, the younger one's now in her second year of destructive studies down in Bath, and the older one graduated, um, and she's now looking for an opportunity in film and television production, mm, brilliant. Uh, which obviously in the middle of an epidemic isn't, isn't an easy thing to do at all. No, let's uh, draw a line under that one, shall we? Uh, <laughs> so we uh, talk about it since we do have to. That's the whole reason for this show. So um, what have you made of it so far? This really is the... I was thinking to myself when you invited me on, you've really invited me onto the grey graveyard shift of all, <laughs> of all pods because we've had no football to really talk about for a little while. And the football that we have had hasn't really been worthy of much commentary. Um I think I, I try to be a glass half full uh, individual when it comes to talking about Ipswich and I take the point that perhaps Joe Fairs made on, on a recent pod that I was listening to that just by getting better players on the pitch uh, we might be able to salvage this season um, but I don't think it's because that there's any really fundamental plan uh, that will see this club transform itself and do anything particularly different to what it's been doing for many, many years. Um, it's difficult to comment on this season. It has been injury ravaged. It has been disrupted now with COVID again, but really it felt a little bit more like just a, more of the same from last year, to be frank. It certainly is. Um, we'll go into tweets and emails now because the first one is pretty much... Uh relevant to what you were just saying this is from shaky he's at shaky stevens on uh, twitter could covid save our season and allow our injured players to return do you know they might return uh, but i've got absolutely no confidence whatsoever that they will return and stay fit and healthy and contribute to a successful tale of the season um you know, they say that past performance is, a, is an indicator of future success and there's nothing that i see um, that tells me that, that it'll be any different once they are fit. You know, you will get those so soft tissue injuries again. Um, you will get the hamstrings. You will get the twisted knees that seem to be prevalent on Portman Road pitch. Um, and I think we'll just go round and around in circles, unfortunately. A bit, yeah, a bit like the play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I wish, I wish I could give a more optimistic view on things, but I just don't see that until there's a fundamental change that even COVID and, and players returning from injury will, will really improve our lot. Well, that's cheerful news. Thanks for that, Jason. Um, from, <laughs> <laughs> this is from your man, Joe Fares, the lovely Joe Fares. Um, what does he think needs, to, this is to you, what do you think needs to happen to recreate the atmosphere from your Argentinian days at Bortman Road? You know, I, I often think about just flying up a couple of hundred Boca supporters or, or Corinthian yeah. supporters or Palmeiras supporters um, years ago, I don't know if you remember this, years ago there was a, a samba school that came to Portman Road yes, I do uh, for a couple of games, you know? Yeah. And I, I also wonder 
Um, this could be a little bit controversial, but there is a, a growing and, and diverse um, population in Ipswich. Um, and I wonder just whether or not it's possible to tap into some of that and, and bring in some, some fresh blood to the stadium. And I, I appreciate what North, Section 6 and, and the North Stand and, and Blue Action uh, did. Um, and I stood in the North Stand for the Leeds game at the end of that last championship season. Mm. And the gallows humour and the, 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 the songs and the spirit was incredible. It mm. was reminiscent of what it used to be. Um, but um, aside from importing um, some support from overseas, the only way that this is going to move forward is with success on the pitch. I mean, that will drive the, the that will drive the support. Absolutely, and of course, I mean, the acoustics have changed somewhat since the days of the old tiny tin tin north stand, yeah. as I call it, where it used to the, the sound would bounce around inside for ages. Whereas now it seems to dissipate, doesn't it? You've got one side of the north stand singing one song and another one so you know it all but uh, you, you need the fans to all come together but like you say i think yeah maybe we should build some um a shanty town round outside it and paint it all blue and white <laughs> we just we, we, we i think we just need to become a little bit more basic i think you know uh, it's all just become even even at our level it's a bit too polished quite frankly for my liking it's not real enough um, I like watching some of the old clips that got posted on Twitter, you know, and you see us sheltering from the rain at the bottom of the north end. I grew up on a stool in the middle of Churchman's, and Churchman's used mm. to make some noise. Yeah. Um, but they killed back with the double tears. I just think it, it's too big for the crowds that we draw, and unfortunately, you know, the, the, the performances on the pitch just don't stimulate the atmosphere these days. No, and also all-seater stadiums doesn't help, I don't think. I mean, no, obviously, no. they're a good thing in one way, and obviously a lot of people need to sit. But anyway, um, Thomas Seggins. Hello, Thomas. Uh, hope you both have a good have had a good Christmas. My question is, how much of the show can Jason spend admiring that or analysing this badge, <laughs> as well as convincing the club to use it for the long term? Happy New Year to you all, and same to you, just Thomas. Thank you very much for that. What do you think, Jace? You can see it coming. Well, look, <coughs> to say, I am still absolutely shocked and dismayed at how the little value the club seems to place in its brand and when I look at the things that we stick our club emblem on um, it, it just disappoints me and, and I think it's Italy where the the junior teams aren't allowed to wear the blue shirt of the first team of the national team I think that their younger teams might play in green I could have this completely wrong but I just think that when it comes to, to wearing the blue shirt, it should be something revered and special. And it's not just the yellow badge, but I just feel that it's all got a bit cheapened with tacky merchandising. And I, I must sound like a real grumpy old man, <laughs> but the shirt should mean something. It's lovely to see the one they've currently got. You know, it's classic. I grew up, I guess my first one would have been an Umbro blue shirt. Um, but sometimes I just look at those plain blue shirts with no piping and, and an Ipswich crest on, not not the horse. And I just mm. think they look beautiful. I remember that, yeah, the, the old coat of arms and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there's a lot to be said, especially nowadays. I think it's changing, isn't it? Your views on things like this change. Because I, I did actually like the badge where you now use the, or the one from last year with the red and the thing, but now I don't like it anymore for some reason. And no. I, I do quite like a monochrome, that's not the word, is it, for a single colour, but, you know, one colour badge, a white on the, just yeah. the blue background or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, 
Uh, there you go, Thomas. Um, <laughs> from Harry Kent. Hello, Harry. He can be got at Hibs Kent on uh, Twitter as well. Um, what do you think of the madness happening over at Sheffield Wednesday? Also, hope you have both had great festive periods. And same to you, Harry, of course. Cheers for that, mate. Sheffield Wednesday. Well, interesting to see that uh, Neil Thompson's taken charge. Indeed. He's got a win, win in his first game. Um, you know, when you bring a Poulis in and, and you don't get the results, you don't get the immediate bounce, I'm not so sure what the point is um, because you're sort of resigning yourself to a brand of football that, that typically looks to grind out results, every point's a captive and all that sort of nonsense. But... Um, if the results don't come, I don't, I don't quite see why you'd have a pull us in. And he's had what ten games, appalling results. And um, I think Sheffield Wednesday, one of those organisations that were they to drop to League One, that'd probably be the end of them. Seems to be happening at West Brom as well under a certain uh, Sam Allardyce, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean that first goal last. Did you see that first goal yes. last night? Yeah, that was quite hilarious, wasn't it? Unless you're a West Brom fan. Yeah. Um, the lovely Mrs. Nuts. Do we now have a moral dilemma over whether players should be prioritised to? Re- that is her name, uh, sort of. Um, do we have a moral dilemma over whether players should be prioritised to receive the COVID jab to save the football season, or should my 99-year-old granny get it first? Well, uh, your granny. Your granny, Mrs. Yeah. Nuts, definitely for the granny. What say you, Jason? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it's it two, is, two it's, zero it's, to the granny. <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing to even talk about, is it? No, no. Save your granny. Yeah, save your granny, Mrs. Nuts. Uh, Mark Touchford, hello, Mark. Hi, GB and Jay. Surely it's time to introduce a circuit breaker for Premier League and EFL sides. The level of the game of game congestion and the rate of cases increasing could get ridiculous. Thoughts. Well, my view on this is quite simple. At League One level, um, this is not elite sport. And, and it's been proven to not be elite sport. Paul Lambert said himself that testing is is rather uh, random uh, at best. Uh, he doesn't feel safe. I can't see how any of the players particularly would feel safe at this level. Um, and, and the sort of infection uh, rate is only going to go one way whilst they don't have tests. Test uh, testing, you know, as mandatory in the same way that they do in the Premier League, and the, the Fulham game mm. has just been called off this afternoon for this evening. Uh, so if they're not containing it at Premier League level, they're certainly not going to do it at League One level. Circuit break will help flatten things off a tad, um, but it, it's it's just putting a band-aid over something that otherwise needs a a radical rethink in my opinion absolutely i agree i agree from it lowstoft in good evening gb and jason hope you both had a great christmas and a happy new year to you no football to talk about so nothing to say thank you for that thank you Thanks for that boy he, he come from Lustoft, he do. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Ian. Julian Watkins, hi, GB and all. It seems that Paul Hurst is heading back to Grimsby. Please say a prayer for them. Which town manager from the last 10 years would you have back at Portman Road right now? Or would you stick with Paul Lambert? 10 years is rather restrictive. That only it is, isn't it? Party, I know, it? I know. Um, so if we ignore that question, I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking about the Ipswich way in the article that Dyer wrote about Terry Butcher carrying sacks of balls off coaches and things like that. And, and I was thinking under Evans, he, he, he hasn't got it right in any of the appointments that he has made. And perhaps it is time for us to try and do a Suffolk way, if you like. Um, and perhaps we do have to look at 
the success that Burley had with the club, with the Dale Roberts, people who did come through the ranks, who do get it, who don't complain about long away trips and all that nonsense that we hear from people that are parachuted in. And um, as much as I didn't think I'd be saying this, you know, perhaps the solution's in-house. Perhaps it's a dire next time round. Here's a, uh, a tweet from some guy called Jason. Uh, Kieran Dyer, anyone, it says. <laughs> oh, that was me, wasn't it, earlier? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> it was. Um, right, moving on. Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, certainly Kieran Dyer working within the system is not a bad call. Um, uh, Ian does reply to that. I think we need to go to, the, to Julian's... Um, tweet about uh, going back 10 years he's right he he has to go back further Majilton he thinks was the last yeah. decent half agree I think so yeah 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 it's, it's like when um, people say who's the best goalkeeper of the last 40 years and I always go Paul Cooper Paul Cooper Paul Cooper and then realize he's older than 40 years ago I mean oh dear enough make you feel old um emails this is from Austin Merry Christmas to all from slightly cooler Sydney Ooh. oh bless him it's, it's either him or Ben they they email in from Sydney and warmth and and then they complain that the weather's dropped to 30 degrees or something hoping this league one season becomes the ghost of Christmas past listening to the show whilst reading letters and football clippings from home being 12 hours ahead the future is bright the future is blue what does 2021 mean for you come on you blues from Austin um, Jason what do you think year ahead <laughs> <laughs> the, the year ahead um, it's going to be pretty much um, cut and paste of the year that's just preceded unfortunately I, I don't think it's far enough looking 2021 isn't going to be staggeringly different to 2020 I don't think mm. you need to be to think in 22 23 24 mm. I, I just don't see 21 as being massively different to 20 unfortunately oh god <laughs> <laughs> um, from from slowable hello slowable uh, good evening gray good evening jace love the show boca juniors question mark i once went to an indian restaurant with mauricio Torico. i was enjoying mm-hmm. it until all until it all kicked off and there was too much i haven't got some bells i'm going to find some bells and some hooters too much argy bargy Oh, very good. (laughs) Does the panel think that the season will be concluded given the COVID-19 situation or will it be a case of EFL nil, bat aids one? God bless Tony Higginbottom. I think it'll limp limp to a conclusion. Um, It might take a bit longer than perhaps traditional. Well, our season (laughs) secretly finishes in about April anyway. (laughs) But, you know, it might go into the summer a tad for sure but I think it, I think they'll get it finished I think they'll have enough about them to be able to do that of course the thing is we've got the uh, Euros haven't we at the end of this I mean the only, the only thing that could, could could counter that would be if any of the League One clubs go to the wall in a significant way but I think mm. there's enough funding and, and support there now um, I think it'll limp to a finish can you see limping to a finish can you see assuming it does finish can you see if it's getting in the playoffs at least you, you'd have to be really bad, I think, to miss top six this season, based on what I've seen of the division. Um, I've seen every game this season. I, as I think Joe alluded to, if you can get those players that are currently on the sidelines, on the pitch regularly, that should be enough to get your top six. Not because there's a plan, just because they should be better than the opposition. But... Um, with my concerns around ongoing injury situations, I just don't think it'll be sustainable. Yeah, we could do a whole... Well, we almost did do a whole programme earlier about the injury situation. Mm. Um, we finished, Jase, unfortunately. 
Well, it was lovely. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, and hopefully, or hopefully, before we see you again on the show, I'll um, probably have a drink in the Greyhound with any luck. I shall look forward to that, and um, if you're lucky, then Chloe might serve you. But uh, aside from that, um, wishing you and all your listeners a happy new year and everything else that goes with it. Thank you, Jason. The same to uh, you and yours, and uh, the same to everyone who's listening. And thank you all for your emails, for your tweets, and thank you for the, you your go. support. Till next week, have a good one, everyone. Have a happy new year. <laughs> Take care. Bye. See ya. Bye bye.